Good morning. My name is Joe Hendricks, and today we'll be, we, we will be reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 818. Again, that's Matthew 13, starting with verse 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them, and then other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people, the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and another 30. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Adam. I don't know if you're like me, but maybe just take a minute. I need a second, I think, to take that in. Would you just pray for a moment? Ask God to speak to you. 
we've sung some big things and we've prayed some big things and we've heard some big things. So ask God to come now and speak. Father, thank you for your love. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Spirit, thank you for coming and helping, even in this moment now, for us to hold everything that you're speaking, everything we're feeling. Thanks that you have the power to actually reveal yourself more clearly and to draw us to you. Thanks for the reminder with this little song that we don't have to understand everything for it to be real. There are complexities about your kingdom that are hard to dissect and put on a chart and fully understand, and yet they are powerfully real. They're tangibly real. They're eternally real. So we trust you. We ask for you to press into our hearts these truths, even though they're mysterious. And we bring uh, the mystery of our sadness to you, the mystery of living in a fallen and broken world, the mystery of living in families that fail us and communities that fail us, and churches like this one that fail us, and even places where we've failed other people. Uh, we have tons of need. We, we have very, very little on our own. I mean, anything that's good inside of us comes from you, so we just ask for your help in the mystery and in the dependence that we're feeling. Would, would you come? Would you stir? Would you move? Would you direct? Would you expose Would you comfort? Would you save? Would you grant repentance? And would you help us, God? So may our hearts be like soil that's fertile, that gathers and welcomes seeds that get planted, that produce fruit, both this morning and down the road. Would you you do that work in our hearts, we ask, oh God? Amen. Amen. I didn't have any jokes planned to start, but I'm I'm glad I didn't because this feels... This feels heavy. Um, I don't know how you're feeling. Maybe you're like doing great. I don't know. But it feels, um, it feels heavy. And I think this text actually feels heavy. What I did plan to say was, I wonder if you've ever experienced the Bible and found it hard to understand and kind of said out loud, maybe while you're reading or while you've heard somebody else explaining it, like, why does God make some things just so hard? God, would you just be more clear? Would you just be more plain? Would you put in front of us things that we can actually hold and understand. In fact, we're actually asking to understand. And so why is it that you seem sometimes mysterious and hard to understand? I've, I've asked that question. There's times where it's confusing because the concept is really big and there's lots of layers to it. And my little mind has a hard time holding on to the complexities of an eternal God. There's times where I'm confused because my heart is hard. And I actually understand what it says, but I don't like what it says. And if I actually understood it and agreed with it, then I'm confronted with change inside my heart. So there's times where it feels confusing because it's challenging things about my own heart that I I don't know exactly what to do with. There are times it feels hard because maybe it feels like it's, it's saying two opposite things. Like God is sovereignly in control of everything, and we're responsible to respond to him. And if we don't, his judgment is on us justly. And so, so God has to choose and we have to choose. 
Our hearts are hard, so we're told to repent, and we're told that God has to soften our hearts. And we wonder like, how all these things fit together. How do these complex things fit together? So if you've ever asked a question like that, you're both in good company in this place. It's a place where we ask a lot of questions. And maybe you could say, like, without feeling hopeless, we might have more questions than we have answers. We have some certainty about what's most important. I think the Bible is abundantly clear about what we need to know for salvation, about the essence of who God is and what it means to trust him, about the essence of our need and why Jesus came into the world, what he did on the cross and what it accomplishes for us and how we must put our faith in his atonement if we're ever going to have hope to be in relationship with God and have our sins forgiven. Like that is abundantly clear. But how that works and what's going on in that and even the song we sing, right, like I don't quite understand how repentance happens. I don't quite understand how it makes, makes sense of the world around me that God has these assured promises and yet the world feels really scattered. So, so that's the space where the disciples find themselves. Hey, Jesus, as you're teaching, why are you making some of this hard to understand? That's the question that they ask in verse 10. And so we're about to come into seven or eight parables that Jesus tells through the chapter 13. And actually, there'll be a lot more throughout the book of Matthew. And so I thought as we step into this section, it's helpful just to pull back and ask, why does God say hard things? Why does he use parables to explain things to our hearts? Why does God speak sometimes in mysteries? So so we're actually just going to focus today on verses 10 through 17 of Matthew 13 and just ask this question, why does God say hard things? What do we do with why he says hard things? And then we'll zoom back out and we'll take these parables one or two at a time and kind of walk through them. I simply want to make two points. One, God says hard things to help us understand the nature of his kingdom. It's one thing Jesus says here. The other one is God says hard things to expose the nature of our hearts. So to explain the nature of the kingdom and to expose the nature of our hearts. It's a two-point sermon. Maybe we'll get done early. Okay, look with me in verse 10 of chapter 13. The disciples come to Jesus. He's just taught this parable, maybe one of the most famous parables, the parable of the soils. You probably didn't have to grow up in church to have heard something like this or have it used in some certain ways culturally. He tells this parable, and before he moves forward, he kind of gathers his disciples, and they ask him this question, why do you speak in parables? And maybe even his answer made you more confused, but I just love that God gives permission to his disciples to ask questions. Like there's something beautiful just about acknowledging that the God who's giving us this word puts the idea that his people are often confused with what he says in front of us so that we can kind of settle in and feel at home. There's like a place for our questions if the disciples ask questions. So, so they just ask, why do you speak in these parables, these stories, these mysteries, these illustrations, these ways of saying things that, that have some punch to them, but they're not exactly clear. Like, who are the soils and what do I do with that and how do I know which one I am and what if it's shallow? Is there something I can do about that? How come you don't just say something really plain and really clear? And so he answers them in verse 11 and we'll just take the first part of this verse for our first point. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. These parables are given to explain the secrets or, or the mysteries is a way to translate that word of heaven. Now, Paul uses this word mystery a lot. Paul is a follower of Jesus. 
He's one of the early uh, followers. He wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, but he was a leader in the early church. Actually had a radical conversion. Hated the people of God. Actually persecuted them, hunted them down. Then God got a hold of his heart, flipped his world upside down. And he became not just an enemy anymore, but actually now a leader in the church. And he uses this word mystery a lot in his letters. To say that there were things that were concealed in the Old Testament... And now they've been revealed. They were there, but they were kind of hidden. There are things that God has been saying all along that we struggle to actually understand. And so parables, these mysteries, are a way of explaining the nature of the kingdom of heaven. It's like the way that poetry says something more profound faster than prose does. Like you can write a letter to your girlfriend explaining kind of in detailed bullet points all the things you appreciate about her, but there is some language that probably rhymes that would be way shorter that would capture her heart. Or you can give all these propositions of all the things that they have done, but there's something about explaining emotionally what's going on that kind of grips us. These stories Jesus tells as parables have a, a gripping nature to them. They, they explain parts of the kingdom that, that are pretty complicated for us to wrap our minds around. And these little snapshots become like a composite sketch for us to put together an understanding of the kingdom. Now, now not a full understanding of sorts. You have to just settle into the fact that as a finite being, there are things about God you will never fully understand. That's not like an accusation or a jab at you. It actually should comfort you. You get to be a creature. You don't have to know everything. God is infinite, and there's no way you would explode if you tried to understand all of who he is. And yet, he's revealed enough about who he is so that we can trust him. He's revealed enough about the kingdom so that we can follow him. He's revealed enough about what it means to be one of his disciples so you can give your life to him with confidence for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 years, knowing that God is for you, he's with you, and what Christ is on the cross is enough to rescue and save you. But these stories communicate something to our heart about the nature of the kingdom that actually pushes it down and helps us feel it. It helps us understand it a little bit more. Let me give you an example. Later on in this chapter, he's going to give just a real quick parable about the kingdom like leaven. And he just says kingdom of God is like, like leaven. It's worked into the dough. It's kind of all he says. It's really simple, really small, but there's a vivid image. You know what yeast or leaven does. You know this little packet that you get at the grocery store, and you rip it open, and you put it in warm water, and you put some flour around it. It's just kind of this big gooey mess. You come back, I don't know, four, six hours later, and this little gooey mess has blossomed and grown inside the fridge or under the cabinet or wherever you store dough. I don't know what you do with dough, but whatever, whatever you do with it, it grows, right? I do know that. I do know that yeast and leaven make this thing grow. Now, God could have said, hey, be patient. The kingdom of God takes a long time to play out. But he gave a vivid image so that this week, when I'm praying through our church and where we're at and things I long for, stuff that I wish was farther along, that is places where I wish I was farther along, God gives me this sweet word of, hey, remember the kingdom is like leaven. It's small, little things that over time transform and change something. It doesn't come with big bangs. It doesn't come in flashy ways. It doesn't come even in noticeable ways. If you were to stand there and just watch that dough in that little pot, I bet you you get bored and walk away. And yet it's working and it's happening. So almost unknowingly, unobservable, the kingdom of God is advancing. 
Friends, I found a ton of comfort in this little bitty parable when I think about leading our church in ways that I I long for us to be more outward focused. I long for us to have more resources for you for for where you're struggling. I long for us to be developing spiritual leaders in, in deeper and more profound ways. And yet, the Lord said, hey, you're singing songs. You're praying prayers. You're gathering people. You're investing in folks. You're meeting one-on-one. You're doing small little things that over time, as you wait, incrementally will grow. The kingdom advances like leaven. And it didn't make me go like, oh, cool, I'm going to take a bunch of days off. It made me go, thank you, God, and let me stay at work in these small little faithful ways. The parables are explaining elements of the kingdom in ways that we can kind of hold or taste or feel. Because stories do that to us. Stories do things inside of us that change us. We're, we're shaped by stories. So your favorite movies probably have a storyline that was inspiring or challenging or made you cry or made you excited or made you, made you open your eyes to things that you hadn't seen before. Stories have a way of capturing our hearts. And so Jesus tells a whole bunch of them, and he says, I'm telling this to you so you can understand the way the kingdom is, the mystery of the kingdom, the nature of it is, is revealed. Because there's things about God that are really hard to understand. Things like his sovereignty and how our free will fits into that. Things like his justice and his mercy. Things like his promise to bring about retribution and, and and punish those who are wicked and evil, and yet his patience to wait because we're wicked and evil to not judge us now. Those things are super complicated. So he'll tell a story. It's like a king that goes on a journey. While he's gone, he entrusts his kingdom to his servants. And he's gone a really long time, and they wonder if he's even coming back. And so they begin to just kind of set up shop there, think the kingdom is their kingdom And the king sends a representative from a far country to come and say, hey, I'm coming back. And they think, hey, if we kill this servant, we can have the kingdom. So they kill the servant. Oh, my gosh. So the king hears about that, and he sends another servant. And they go, hey, here's another one. If we kill this one, surely we can have the kingdom. King hears about that. He actually sends his own son, his very own son, back to his very own kingdom, to his own servants who've been holding on to things that were actually his, that they began to think were about them, and they kill his very own son. Now, what will happen when that king comes back to that land? And, and it's like you just have the dun dun dun. There's this thing where we go, oh my gosh, that's me, where I've taken the gifts of God, the things of God. It's the leaders of Jesus's day, and he could just say woe to you and he does that he could just teach plainly and he does that but there's something about that story that gets in your bones a little bit that's meant to make you see the kingdom a little more fully so there are elements about the kingdom that he uses in organic illustrations and money illustrations and kingdom illustrations and family illustrations and farming illustrations and war illustrations that grip our hearts so that we know better what he's like. Why does God tell hard things? Why does he speak in mysteries? There's something he's revealing that we wouldn't otherwise know if he hadn't spoken it like that. And Jesus is also saying this idea of mysteries, again, has a loaded meaning of its things that have been there all along, but they were kind of concealed. They're like seeds in the ground that now are blossoming and they're growing in ways that we can now recognize them. Paul will use this word mystery lots of times to talk about the church and 
And the way even marriage is a portrait of Christ in the church. He'll use that mystery word a lot. And so in this idea here is that Jesus is actually telling us, he's telling us things about the way he's always worked that he is the centerpiece of. There are things about the kingdom of God that only make sense if God himself took on flesh, came into our world, died in our place to make a way for us to be forgiven and free. There's a Jesus-centered kind of decoder to the Old Testament that helps these stories that you read and just go, what do I do with that? What do I do with like a Hosea and Gomer kind of story? What is going on with that? Oh, if God's the kind of God who is faithful to an unfaithful people, and the way he does that is by taking on our humanity and dying in our place, then the story of Hosea and Gomer, which is a parable and illustration, begins to make more sense. When I was a kid, uh, we didn't have a ton of cash, but my parents tried to give us opportunities, and one thing they did was a monthly subscription to Ranger Rick magazine. Anybody? Is that still a thing? Thank you. All right. There's probably like a cooler version of that now, or somebody's going, I, have, I still have my ring. I still have my little badge. Uh, I am one of the Ranger Rick heroes. So Ranger Rick would come as a magazine, and sometimes you would get like a kit, and there was like stuff inside the kit. Sometimes it was pretty lame, but sometimes it was pretty cool. There would be stuff inside there that you could experiment with, or you could take out in your backyard and get some rocks and put this thing on there, and all of a sudden did something different. Like there were some cool little things inside of there. And, and sometimes it would be like a decoder ring. And one time there was a, a thing, I think it was red. It was like a clear little cellophane. It was shaped like a magnifying glass, but the inside of it was red. And you were meant to take this little lens and hold it over a page that had a bunch of crisscross lines, and they were kind of off-white. There wasn't a whole lot there. It looked like a blank page with some like white lines. But then you would take this little red film, and you would put it over that page, and all of a sudden you would see things that you didn't see before. And it was like this amazing Ranger Rig miracle right there in your living room as a seven-year-old where this little cellophane thing began to make sense and show things that were always there, but you just couldn't see them until you had this little lens. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, it's always been there. God's always been at work. And there's stuff about the past and about the future that don't make sense unless you see them through the lens of a Messiah like Jesus. There's prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah dying in our place, and and yet it was kind of concealed and hidden. They didn't expect that. So Jesus tells parables to explain the way he will be martyred and killed and executed on our behalf so that we can begin to feel what has been concealed and actually hold on to it. So he tells parables because they help explain the nature of the kingdom. They say what God is like and what we are like. To hear stories of unfaithfulness met with faithfulness. Stories of rebellion met with grace. Like there's a story that Jesus tells of a, of a landowner who hires people to come into his field. And he pays the guy he hires in the morning the exact same wage he pays the guy who just works for an hour. And you're reading that and you go, God is the kind of God who is so gracious. He gives us not what we deserve, but he gives us his mercy and his grace. God could tell us that, but hearing that story and putting yourself there as the guy who's worked the first hour, it actually exposes some things, which is the second part of what he's going to say. It exposes things inside of our hearts, and it has a way of uh, recognizing or acknowledging some of the complexities of the kingdom, some of the places of God's mercy and invitation, and yet your desire or your responsibility to still choose and respond. God's fully sovereign and merciful. He needs to change your heart, and you are 
only responsible for your heart and must take responsibility for what's happening inside of you to actually repent. And you go, how do I hold those things together? And so Jesus tells a story. It's like a king who has a big wedding feast. And he invites all of his friends to the wedding feast. And a bunch of them say no. They say either we're too busy or we don't want to come. They actually reject. So the king then broadens the invitation and says to his servants, go out as far as you can, as far as the highways and the hedges, go out as far as you can in my kingdom and I welcome everybody to come into the banquet. This beautiful illustration of the invitation by grace to all who will respond. And then he says, and as the king is welcoming guests, a man comes in and he's not wearing wedding clothes. So he says to him, friend, how did you get in here? So I responded to the invitation. And he says, you're not wearing the right clothes. And he kicks him out and sends him to an illustration of what would be hell and judgment. And you go like, bah, what do I do with that? What you do with that is you hear the complexity of a merciful, gracious God who says, come to me, all of you who will come and respond. But you don't come on your own terms. It's a wedding. You have to come and respond the way the king has asked you to come and respond. You must put your faith in Jesus is the way that visceral reaction to like, what's the deal? You said, come just as you are. Oh, totally. But you have to come the way the king tells you to come. He could just put that in propositions, but you just feel that when you hear that story. The parables of Jesus explain the kingdom of God in visceral ways that help us understand the nature of it, the complexity of it, and they put Jesus at the center of it. There are things that only make sense with a crucified Messiah. There's so many Old Testament stories and rituals and sacrifices and festivals that would be really, really, really confusing unless you put that red film lens of Jesus over it and saw, oh, God did actually go up a mountain with his son, put him on an altar, sacrifice him. Holy cow. Now what was a strange story about Abraham and his son now has meaning and impact for us. So, so Jesus tells mysterious things, hard things, because as we engage them, They better explain, more fully explain, viscerally explain, at the heart level explain the nature of the kingdom. So friends, as we walk through these stories, and there'll be a lot of them in the rest of Matthew, you're meant to ask with your heart, what is Jesus saying? What's he calling me to? How do I respond to this? And in that space, what we see is the second thing about these parables. They expose the nature of our hearts. Jesus says there's two kinds of people hearing these stories, there's one that actually hears the secrets of the kingdom and they respond. He says, but to them, in verse 11, in the middle of that, he says, but to them it has not been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. For the one who has, more will be given, and the one who has will have an abundance, but the one who does not have, even what he doesn't have will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes, they have closed them, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus says these provocative stories also expose what's inside of our hearts. Same story hits the crowd. One moves towards it in faith and one rejects. Why? 
There's some mystery in this, but did you catch Jesus is both saying God is sovereignly at work and people are fully responsible. Look in verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see. Jesus has been speaking for 12 chapters already. Isaiah 6 is where this quote comes from. You have five chapters of Isaiah already. He's already told them who he is, what he's like, their need for him. They hear it and they say no. So the stories come and they don't understand them because seeing them, they don't see. And hearing them, they refuse to respond. We'll see other places like in Luke 16. Jesus will tell a story using money as an illustration, and the commentary afterwards is the Pharisees who loved money began to mock Jesus. They heard the story about the kingdom. They didn't want to believe and respond. They already decided he's not the Messiah. They don't want to hear. So that very same story, because they've closed their ears, they cannot hear it and understand it. There's a nature here or an element of this that Jesus is saying people have hardened their hearts And therefore, they can't fully understand. But it's more complicated than that. We also read in this text that God is actively at work in closing their ears and in closing their eyes. Look in verse 15. For this people's hearts, it has grown dull. They're responsible. They've dulled their hearts. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. God has closed their ears so they don't hear. God has closed their eyes so that they don't see. And now comes an even more mystery inside of the mystery. What we see here is the the way that the Bible talks about God is causing things and we are responsible. There's a because and a lest here. He's saying, I'm speaking to people and they're responsible. And because they have rejected, I've closed their hearts now and made it impossible for them to actually hear. And that you feel something with that. He could just teach you that, but to kind of see it in a parable, to hear it in a story actually stirs deep things inside of us. What we realize is this is the way God has always talked. There's a responsibility that we have, and there is judgment from God as we reject him to close off our hearts. We're always dependent on his mercy to understand, and as we reject his mercy, he hardens our heart. As we harden our hearts, he hardens our heart and judgment. So exhibit A, Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. The text says as those plagues are going down, both that Pharaoh hardens his own heart and that God hardens his heart. Tons of mystery, but you see man's responsibility and God's sovereignty at play in that. Exhibit B, Romans chapter 1, with this beautiful, confusing, challenging text that tells us that the people had received revelation from God and they suppressed the truth. They pushed it down on their own. That's verse 18 of chapter 1. And then it says, therefore God gave them over to their desires and it got worse and worse and worse and he hardened their hearts. The parables reveal and expose what's inside. If you already think that Jesus is a heretic and he tells stories about the kingdom of God, you will dismiss them. If you're longing for a Messiah and you're hearing him speak and you think the way he's talking offers you grace and mercy, he speaks parables and you feel drawn in. It both exposes and it reinforces what's inside their hearts. Fascinating, judging, sobering, 
as we hear this text, we should have a couple responses. One, to not play games with God. Hebrews 3 and 4 say, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't like they did in the wilderness. Watch God do miracles. See what he has done and say no to them. As you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. And if as I'm speaking, as you read these, as you've encountered the Bible, as you think about Jesus, you dismiss all of it, be warned. There's a warning in that dismissal. There's a way that the Pharisees are saying no that actually shocks them into a space where they could see their need for repentance and grace. There's a mysterious kind of mercy, and it is a mercy, though it's not pleasant, that God would give us over to kind of our own sinful desires. And and let us, as we say no to him and reject him, let us go down roads that actually get worse and worse and worse and worse. There's something strange about human nature that normally it waits till we get all the way to the bottom before we open up our eyes and change. Like it's not till after you lose your job. It's not till after the addiction is out of control. It's not till after she leaves or he moves out. It's not till those moments where you can't deny it anymore that we normally open up our eyes and ask for repentance. And there's a kind of mercy for God to let our hearts get progressively hard so that we hit the bottom and they so clearly see our need for him. And if he were to let us kind of just play games and sometimes get some wins and sometimes not be so bad and kind of play church and get along with everybody and kind of make our lives work even though our hearts are far from God, that would be a kind of judgment from God. There's a mercy, though it's not pleasant for him as he hardens our heart for things to be undeniable. Another parable, the prodigal son story. Like there's this man who says to his father, scholars would tell us, basically, I wish you were dead to his dad. I want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. Takes his money, goes off, the scripture says, into a far country in wild living, giving himself over to every pleasure he could imagine. And while he has money, he has lots of friends. Guess what? The money runs out. As he's rejected from his friends, he finds himself looking for work. There's a famine that comes in the land. It gets even worse. The mercy of God is sometimes for it to get even worse, so it's undeniable. With the famine comes, the only job the guy can find is feeding pigs. And he finds himself feeding pigs, wishing he could actually eat the food that they were eating. Think about that, just how gross that would be. He's so hungry and desperate, he wishes he could have that. And it's in that moment that God awakens his heart, and he goes, oh, my father's servants, like they, they have food. I wonder if I go back and repent and tell my father I'm sorry, if he'll just take me back as a servant. There's a story that grips our hearts where you see a man hit the bottom, and it's not till he hits the bottom that his eyes open. It's mysterious, friends, and I, there's places where I don't understand all of it, right? I won't understand all of it. We can't understand all of it. And since the garden tree, we've been demanding to fully understand God and what he does, and it always leads to trouble when we remove mystery. When God says, this is the way I set the world up, and we go, no, I think it should be different. In those spaces, we are moving towards sin and rebellion. But in the spaces where it's kind of confusing, you can still see some mercy in the fact that as he exposes the nature of our hearts through these stories, they give us a chance to actually repent. Uh, But if you don't want to repent, you don't repent. Kids, I know you're out of school. Let me give you a school illustration. And and maybe you've never done this. I hope you've never done this. Maybe you've done this. I had to do this a couple times. If you've ever been a part of or maybe seen another cartoon or something in school suspension, 
where somebody does something they shouldn't do and they're consigned to like three days of detention at school. And if you're watching like a cartoon or something, there's always a couple of characters in the room, in the detention room, right? There are kids who are like so brokenhearted for what they've done. They can't believe it. They're never going to do it again. And there's kids that are like smoking in the back. They don't have like a leather jacket on or something like that. They're doing things, but they love it. And they say, in school suspension, great, I don't have to go to school. And there's other kids who the suspension works on their hearts and they go, oh man, I'm never going to do that again. The very same thing reveals two things in people's hearts. The very same parable reveals two things in our hearts. Those who are seeking after God, who find their hearts as fertile soil, who want to hear the kingdom, are able to receive and respond and understand the mysteries. Maybe not completely, but it moves our heart towards God. And there are others who, because of their hardness, actually, as God tells stories, they say, see, he's confusing. How would you follow God like that? The very same story actually hardens their heart further. So we see things like in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's called like an aroma. Like the fragrance of Christ is an aroma. And for some, it's the aroma of life. And for others, the aroma of death. Very same act of God. Some are drawn to it and some are repelled by it. He says in 1 Peter, Jesus is like a cornerstone or he's like a stumbling block. Depending on what's going on inside your heart, how you see God. And here's the beautiful thing. These parables are meant to teach you about God in emotional, vivid ways to grip your heart so you'll turn to him. Even the hardening that we see in Isaiah chapter 6, it's given to God's people so that they will turn. And they've been rejecting for a really long time. And she says, okay, I'm going to close your ears off so you feel the effects of your sin and brokenness so you'll get to the very bottom. And at the very bottom, you'll turn and you'll find hope. So Isaiah chapter 1 through 5 is a lot of judgment passages there, a warning and a call to repentance. And he gets to chapter 6 in Isaiah. Isaiah sees God in the temple and he's blown away and he sees God in his holiness and his response is to repent. He says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And that's where this quote comes from, from Isaiah. After he's repented, God sends him out to go take the message of redemption to his people. And he says, hey, as you go, they're not going to hear. But in the end of chapter 6, you see a promise that there will be this shoot coming out of the stump from desolation. God's going to kind of keep pouring out judgment until everything is leveled and this shoot will pop up. And then in chapter 7, 8, and 9, you get some Christmas prophecies that he's the one who comes as the Prince of Peace. He's the one who comes as the shoot from the stump of Jesse. He's the one who actually comes. The Messiah promise is given right after we see this declaration that God's going to harden their hearts in judgment. And then as we work our way through Isaiah, we get down to page or chapter 53 where we see this one Messiah was going to come and die in their place. Because in chapter 1 of Isaiah, as God is kind of railing on them for all of their not just dysfunction, but their disobedience. They're, they're playing games. They're making sacrifices, but their hearts are far from God. And he's saying some really, really harsh things to them. In verse 18, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here's this invitation to forgiveness and grace, but if you continue to reject it, you will be slayed by it. Why does God say hard things? He says things to explain the kingdom to us, 
and to expose what's inside of us. This little explanation, again, is sandwiched between the the parable of the soils or the sower and the explanation of it. You're meant to hear this as a question of what's going on inside my heart? Where, Where am I with God? And the real question is, where do these words land, right? You read the explanation, and we'll look at it more in detail next week, but, but the word comes like seed, and the heart that is hard won't receive it, and the evil one comes and takes it away. And there's another option of a soft, fertile soil that welcomes and receives what the Lord wants to say. Hey, here's my hope for us the next couple of weeks. You're going to be confronted. You're going to be challenged. There are things about the kingdom that you're not living in line with. And there are things about the kingdom that are better than you thought. And there are things about the kingdom that are different than you thought, and you're going to find them mysterious. And the way Jesus sets this up is to put in front of us options and an examination, which turns into an invitation. Hey, there's ways you could respond to this. Examine your heart. See what's going on inside so that you could actually respond to the invitation of Jesus because he came as the king into the kingdom to make a way for you to be welcomed Though you were rebellious and his enemies, he made a way for you to be forgiven and free if you will receive him. He tells these stories to grip your heart so you'll know he loves you. In that space, you can live into that love in ways that will actually change you and change the world around you. Why does he say hard things? To expose and to explain and, I think, to invite. He wants to invite you to himself. So would you just ask, check in with yourself where you are? You find yourself saying, man, I need him, and I want him. Do you find yourself saying, how dare he? This is crazy. Why would he do that? Do you find yourself hardening your heart? Do you find yourself wanting to hear? Are you scared because you're, you're hearing these words and you're not feeling anything, but you want to feel something? Do you just bring your heart to God now and ask him to work? Ask him to help. Repentance is an act of faith. It's an act of receiving the kingdom. Or Jesus comes and says, repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. To actually stop and say, God, I've hardened my heart. Would you please forgive me? It would be a great application to this text. For you to ask God to soften your heart and open it up so you can receive his kingdom is a great application for this text. And if you feel numb, to just stop and go, God, if you're real, would you do something to unplug my ears and open my eyes because I don't know if you're real. I don't even care. Would you just pray? God, if you're real in your mercy, would you do something and move towards me? I think that would be an appropriate application. Repentance, asking for faith, begging for him to open up your eyes and ears if he's really real. There's prayers in the back of your bulletin that will give you some language for that if you're not a follower of Jesus. But for those who are followers of Jesus, I want to invite you to come and take communion as a way of applying and remembering and owning the faith that Christ has given us by his broken body and shed blood on the cross for us. Christians take communion as a reminder of a visible, visceral reminder of the broken body and shed blood of Christ, which is our salvation and our hope. So you'll come forward, you'll tear a piece of the bread off, you'll dip it in the cup, and someone will say to you, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for your life. And as they say that to you as a follower of Jesus, remember what Christ has done to make it possible actually for you to come into the kingdom and rejoice. And if it's not where you are, man, just stay in your seat and pray. You're welcome here, but there is a warning that you need to hear. This is not a game that we're playing. You should take this time to earnestly see God and ask him to speak to you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion. There's a gluten-free station to my right, your left, and some individual packets as well, if that's more comfortable. But let me pray. Jesus, we ask for you to come now and help. 
You've exposed our hearts through your word. Now would you come and speak to us and help us? Would you change us? Would you make our hearts soft? Would you grant repentance? Would you grant faith? Would you communicate to people who are struggling to believe if you are real? Come now in power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come when you're ready.